Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. Same time, uh, what we're going to be doing uh, instead of talking about Mother's Day is we're going to be talking about truth and false ideas and teachings and apostles. False apostles versus the true apostle Paul, who really stood for the truth. And so he had an attack. An attack was on the purity of. Uh, the, the gospel, Paul's motives uh, was being attacked. And there was a disguise that the false uh, preachers used. And, uh, of course, their actions were false, but they were disguised. And they acted like they were really concerned for what was right and what was true and what was for good. And the thing is, all behind it is that it divides the unity and destroys the churches, which is at Corinth, um, their trust in Paul, in the one who had brought the gospel to them and his teachings. And this is a misdirection that false teachers do. Isn't this what Satan does? A misdirect is what he wants to do on his on people, not only his people, but God's people. And so the false teachers will be concerned about, at least it looks like, what is right, what is good, and yet at the same time they're destroying what is truth and what is right and what is good. They sow the seeds of distrust and promote discord and they bring forth strife in the church course, that's exactly what was happening here. Uh, it's really behind uh, those teachers is the devil and uh, his workers. And they don't appear as Satan, as the devil, as deceivers. They don't appear that at all. That's not what they're trying to do. They will appear to be good and to bring light. They'll appear to be on your side and what they want to do is take the attention off the very Word of God, off of the Gospel, off of Jesus Christ, all the things of God, and place the attention on man, really about his frailties. And so they will check the, their, the, the motives is what they will do of people. And the thing is, people really need to see where it's coming from. So it's an attack. And this is the theme of 2 Corinthians. All the way through we have seen this, and it really hits it head on of where we're at right now. And so really we're, we're just studying the, the defense of the gospel. It's the defense of the ministry that Paul had, but it also uh, it presents a defense for all of us because Paul was not alone. It's been handed down all throughout church history that we're in, in the Old Testament. Of course, we see the false prophets, false teachers, false apostles here. And we know who we're really fighting. And we know in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, just a chapter back, actually, we do not war according to the flesh, if you remember. In Ephesians, it talks about we battle not against flesh and blood. And then it talks about 
against the authorities in high places, the demonic high places, those kind of things. That's who we're battling against. And our senses don't experience that. We don't see it. Demons, spirits, angels are spirits. The enemy is unseen. That's what makes it really hard. And the enemy wants to continue to be unseen and not up front. But all along, he's directing with what is going on behind it all. See, mankind is not that smart or intelligent to come up with some of the ideas that they have. Guess where it comes from? So false teachers here are discrediting Paul. And if you discredit Paul, then you discredit the gospel. You have just destroyed the church. And that is definitely the idea of these false apostles or who are driven by demonic spirits. All false teaching ultimately comes from demonic spirits to destroy the very work of God. So the enemy in this chapter today will be described as false apostles, deceitful workers, disguised as apostles of Christ, disguised as angels of light, disguised as servants of righteousness. The disguise. Very effective. Matter of fact, these false apostles are the very embodiment of what is false. Full of lies and errors inspired by Satan himself, who is the father of lies. Truth has always been under attack. This is about truth. If you know truth, then when the counterfeit comes in, you will know and recognize that this is not of God. If you are based in truth in the Word of God, you can recognize that. Now, last week, in our verses 3 and 4, I believe it was, we uh, focused on Genesis 3 how the certain uh, the serpent worked on Eve in the garden pretty cunning pretty deceiving matter of fact very much so so she was deceived she had never sinned before and this is what satan loves to do to deceive people and he starts with Eve And naturally, what follows is where we're at today. And this whole section is following that illustration, picture, which was of truth back in Genesis 3. And we saw how Satan worked on Eve. Now we see how he dupes humans as his instruments to play games on believers He's good at duping people. He's duped the whole world and look at whether it be the government, whether it be other, whether it be society, the schools and all the institutions. Guess who's masterminding that? The ruler of this world. So today we're going to contrast truth with the apostles of Satan. Let's grab our Bibles. Let's see how this falls into place and how it follows the Genesis 3. Let's stand and start at verse 5. 
For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. But what I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Father, we thank you for your word. Your truth is precious. This is about truth. And truth is always encountered by what is false. And we know that truth always wins. It will win ultimately. We know that it has people deceived right now and has ever since the sin of mankind. But if we look at you and your truth and we know who to turn to, we don't have to be deceived. In Jesus' name, amen. Rather, kind of almost a harsh message from Mother's Day, isn't it? You guys wouldn't want it any other way, would you? Well, Paul just told the Corinthians that they had allowed these guys to come into the pulpit, in their own pulpit, and preach a different Jesus, a different gospel, different spirit, and they accepted them, encouraged them, let them come on up, preach this false stuff that seems so good. And Paul then now starts off in verse 5, For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. I'm not inferior to them. So he just puts them on the same plane as, as him. He's least not below them. That's, that's the idea. And what Paul is doing here is he's just kind of continuing on what he has been doing using sarcasm. And you'll see it throughout this text that we do today here. He's saying he's at least their equal, right? How can he be below them? And he calls them the eminent apostles. I take that as these false teachers as he's using sarcasm. Some would say there is an alternative and the eminent apostles are the, uh, the other apostles thinking of uh, 
the apostles of Christ and Paul being that, you know. And so it could be that, but I don't think that's the point and what the context is here. Uh, I'm certainly not inferior in the least to these guys here. And that's the kind of terminology that he's, he's using. Paul uses language in an opposite way in the same chapter later on in verse 21 where he says, To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison to those guys. Now something he says there, it's almost like he's lower. That, that's what they've done to him. They've made him lower than these fake apostles. Isn't that interesting? Um, so he has to defend himself. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles, but even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I'm not so in knowledge, unskilled in speech. There again, I think he's using some of their terminology. Paul being not really beneath them, he could be tooting his own horn. He could really do a lot. He doesn't want to boast. And we looked at that the last couple of weeks. He's, he doesn't want to do that. But he's been forced to boast. To boast in the Lord. To boast in this gospel. To boast what he has said is right. Uh, later on, he kind of refers to himself kind of like a nobody. But he did have knowledge. He had knowledge. He knew God's truth. He had truth. Truth is at a premium at all times through mankind's history and through all eternity. Truth is a premium. God is truth. Everything about him is truth. Not everything about us is truth. We battle and struggle against that, but uh, the false things that come up in our own lives. But God is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. He is truth. So it's not just a characteristic. It, it is Him. It is who He is. Now, He may not have been taught skills and oratory. I don't know. I don't know for sure. I, I tend to think Paul knew very well how to speak. But I think here he goes along with that. I don't have those kind of skills, but I know God's truth. I have knowledge. Um, we know he knew things. His theology was incredible. And so as he presents his truth in the letters that he has written, which seem to be weighty and strong, people would have to say he was strong in reasoning and, and theology. He was very clear he was very rational. He made things to be understood. He didn't speak in some kind of hidden truths, mystical aspects. It was always up front. That's what a teacher does. He never wants to confuse people or keep them hanging. He wants to go right to the truth and make sure that they are clear on this. He had no charm, they said. He had no magnetism. He lacked some kind of aura about him. His demeanor is not attractive. He's not the best looking man. He's short and he's bald. And his eyesight is bad. You know, they did all of these things about him. And if this sounds familiar, it should because this is what we've been talking about the last few weeks. I say, Dennis, you haven't changed the message yet. <laughs> uh, 
Paul keeps right at hitting things very clear. And sometimes it's like he repeats himself, but that's a good thing because repetition is what we humans, we sinners need. Repetition. Peter said, I write these things to remind you. Yeah, we already know this. How many times have we gone through false teachings? Well, you can go through any gospel. You can go through any epistle. You can go anywhere, and always there's going to be something about false teaching versus truth. And we just happen to be in that area. But it's good to be reminded, especially in the time that we live. We must be reminded. So we let God remind us, even say, I already know that. I'll take a back seat and I'll just read something else. I know. But we don't have to change the gospel Gospel's always the same way. We sometimes we try to hit at different angles that can focus our attention on. So we we go at a word here that I think is pretty interesting. It might get your interest for a moment. I am unskilled in speech. The Greek word for this is idiotes, and you got it. <laughs> I don't have to say what the English word is. So he uses that, and he's still using sarcasm. Untrained idiotes. Kind of contemptuous. Kind of an edge to that, isn't there? Paul's concern with clarity. You can preach the gospel with clarity and straightforward. And people will say, well, he's certainly not much of an intellect, is he? <laughs> people make fun of southern-style preachers or northern-style preachers or different accents or different ways they present it. And it's like, eh, you know, they start making their judgments on it. And Paul just preached the gospel, although it is with depth. We have to be careful. Somebody who is true and their, I mean, their whole idea is to get the gospel out. Um, you know, there are country preachers and say, well, that's just real simple. I'd like to have some depth. Well, if they're preaching the gospel, praise the Lord. You know, that's, that's what we want to hear. Um, so false teachers, they came with all the tricks. They had all the rhetoric. They had the cleverness behind it. Just like they were trained for this oratory. Probably were. They seduced people for their own personal gain. That's how they did it. They did it with their great speaking and promises and what they can get out of this. And they loved the flow of the words. Paul said... We came in here and we gave you truth and you know it. You know we did. So he has, he has a humility about this as he keeps on going forward as we go to, to verse 7. He says, I had this knowledge. In fact, every way we made this evident to you all in all things. Or did I commit a sin? Did, did I do something wrong in humbling myself and not taking your money? Did I sin when I did that? Well, of course, what are they going to say? Yeah, you sinned when you took when you didn't take our money. That was his policy. Now, you guys that come to the Tuesday night Bible study, it sounds like we're hitting on the same thing. And we happen to be in Thessalonians. I think we referred to the Corinthians when we were at this. And now, as we're in Corinthians, now we could refer back to Thessalonians and get the exact same message because he's saying the same thing. Evidently, he must have done this 
frequently. And a lot of times it's probably not recorded. But he, he, people were falling for this stupid stuff. So he has to shake his head, and now he has to use this kind of thing about his own boasting and then using the kind of language that he does. He just doesn't want to be burdening them. He doesn't want to come in like another professional orator, a, a philosopher who did get paid and get they got paid highly, the, the Greeks did. So they would come in and teach, philosophize. And they'd ply their trade in the marketplace. And people would give their money to them for their great intellect. That's the way it seemed to work. And we could go to 1 Corinthians 9 and look at Paul's testimony on it. We could look in Acts 18 and... You can look at 2 Corinthians 2.17, and since we're in 2 Corinthians, we'll just turn there. For we are not like many peddling the word of God. And see, he was already starting to use this kind of thought then. But as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. It's all about pleasing Him. It's interesting that Paul actually was supported by other churches, not by Corinth. Not the Corinthian church, but other churches who couldn't even afford it. And you remember the Thessalonian church, right? They were very poor. And they supported him. Now, he, he says, Did I commit a sin and humble myself so that you might be exalted because I preach the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. So other churches sent the money. It forced him to take it. Because his, his standard was he would work night and day. He would work during the day doing his uh, tent making. And then, of course, he'd teach at night or it could have been vice versa, but it was all around the clock. He definitely taught, but he had to, he made his living on his own, so nobody could say he was taking them. But anyway, he said, I robbed other churches. Now, again, you, you catch the language that he's using here. It's like, wow, what Paul do? Go into the treasury when nobody was looking and start dipping in there? Uh, the irony of the, the passage there, as, as we see, he, he speaks about pillaging other churches. That's the word for robbed. It means to pillage. It means to take wages. It was, it's really a military metaphor. To pillage. A Roman soldier's wages was whenever there was a pillage. That was their wages. So he describes what's going on here and the gifts that were given to him they were wages from them to serve the Corinthians it wasn't the Corinthians so that he could serve the Corinthians there it is coming he didn't want to be a burden First uh, Thessalonians 2.9 and this is chapter we were in last week and I'll tell you what when you're studying both of these you have to be really careful because I could start staying in Second First Thessalonians and go on from there because uh, it's been the same thing almost in, in a way. First Thessalonians 2.9 For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship. We're talking real toil here. How working night and day so as not to be a 
burden to any of you. We proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now, this time it was to the Thessalonians. He says the same thing, doesn't he? We worked night and day not to be a burden to you. Of course, he, we know his, his profession, making the, the tents there. Um, common, average, menial job, really. It's not a big thing. Um, doesn't want to be a burden. There were then also, we know that there were brethren from Macedonia. He says um, in verse 8, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. When I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. Food, shelter, clothing, or whatever was needed. And everything I kept myself from being a burden to you. So that word burden keeps popping up. That's why he didn't do it. And they, you know, it was like he had committed a sin because he wasn't taking their money. Either way, he, you know, how is he going to win? If he takes the money, what are they going to call him? He's going to be robbing the people of money. If he doesn't take it, well, he's just not good enough. And we get in verse 10 and we deal with truth here. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting, this has to be boasting then that I'm doing, will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia, Corinth, that whole area. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. Well, there we have truth and then we have love. You notice that? We have the truth of Christ that's in him. He says, is this because I don't love you? God knows I do. Truth is always with love. When we speak truth to somebody, and it can very well be absolute truth, but if we don't have the love behind it, don't say a word. It's absolutely useless. Because that's going to go on deaf ears, first of all. The Lord doesn't honor that. Because Jesus worked under that whole principle. He always gave truth, but it was love. I mean, he, he gave what needed to be. Pressed it forth, and sometimes it could be Sounds pretty hard, but it had to be straightforward. But still yet the love is there behind it. That's a, a motivation. That's a fruit of the Spirit. So everything that we do should be with that motive. And so Paul has that motive. It's not that he's some high-up theologian who doesn't care about souls. He says, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting line will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia, he says, I'm not going to change my policy that I've used. I am not going to start taking wages here. I haven't received anybody, anything from anybody in this region, and I'm going to continue to do that. Uh, he not only preached the truth, he lived the truth, right? And so, if you don't live the truth, don't bother to preach the truth then, too. <laughs> he had integrity. He had convictions. He was marked out by truth. The truth of Christ was in him. Then he gets to the love part, verse 11. Why? Because I do not love you? Maybe people are going around saying that. Maybe they read his letters that were harsh. God knows I do. Don't you remember? Don't you remember anything? It's there for a long time taught you guys the gospel. So, 
They accused him of not loving them. He says, God knows I do. I do love you. That's the whole point. Now we get into part two. This is the apostles of Satan exposed. We looked at the truth side. I think I'd like to be on Paul's side. <laughs> Don't you like the way that he delivers truth? Sometimes it has to be done in a way that people can understand. It always was, but the way that he gets on this level now as he uses this language. Pride is at the heart of this issue. Apostles of Satan and their pride. It says in verse 12, What I'm doing, I will continue to do. So he continues on what he's just said. So that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. I want to cut off an opportunity that they would be regarded as we are. Of course, what they boast about is something that's really not casting the, the real truth out anyway. Uh, boy, I tell you, Paul pulls no punches here. For such men, and look at this, are false apostles. Boy, if you heard something like, whoa, be careful there. You know, let's, let's be nice there, Paul. False apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Starts off with that after he set all this up. They're deceitful. They're, they're false. Boy, in our times, Paul would really have a hard time. You know, the, the word is tolerance, isn't it? <laughs> They pump that into you in the schools and in the government. Politically correct, but it has to be the way that they believe. And they can't tolerate truth. That's the, the problem, right? Truth is always going to be intolerable to the lost world around us because they want to keep doing what they're doing. Error. The ones who are distinguished by error. They will not tolerate truth. They came, they came in, as a matter of fact, to destroy, to chew up, to steal, to devastate the flock. Of course, I think of that picture that I think we've used before where you have a wolf, right? But actually has this mask on and it's what? It's like a sheep, right? Wolves and sheep clothing, masquerading, as we'll see that word there. Boy, uh, let's go to Matthew seven fifteen. This is Jesus speaking about this. Just in case you thought Paul was the only one. Well, Jesus is not that way. Some could say that, right? What did Jesus say? Sermon on the Mount. Be oh, by the way, Sermon on the Mount. Oh, people love the Sermon on the Mount. It's so sweet, so flowing. It's so nice. You know, sometimes you'll even hear that in functions that are not even churches. You know, in, in, in the secular world, Sermon on the Mount. It's so nice, but they don't. They won't say this one. 
Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. There's no in-between. You're either good or you're bad. You're good in Christ or you're bad outside Christ. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire, So then, you will know them by their fruits. He's already spoken about the two ways of life. Gate is small, the way is narrow, it leads to life. There are few that find that. Broad is the way to destruction, all right? There's two ways. Only one is right. Only one is true. You cannot blend them together. Then he goes on and says, here are the guys that would like to keep you from the truth. Right here. So... I think that's pretty clear by our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is very gracious, who is very loving, who is very truth. He is truth. Are you still in Matthew? I'm not. I should have stayed in there. Turn to Matthew 24. You guys better beat me. Harry, are you there? I'm not there either. 24, verse 24. Y'all know this. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, deceive, if possible, even the elect. I like the word if possible. That means even Christians can be deceived. Not ultimately. It's because the Holy Spirit will step in somewhere along the line there. If if they were to be misled and deceived, it's almost like they could lose salvation, right? That's not possible for the elect. But Jesus says false Christ there, false prophets, people coming in his name, either declaring to be Christ, the New Age Christ, ever since the 80s, the early 80s, that started coming out, there was a Lord Maitreya, and he was going to be the next Christ. (coughs) There are a lot of Christ and Messiahs. Or they're coming in Jesus' name. Like the Mormons, they'll speak of Jesus Christ. The Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ. Jehovah's Witnesses, they recognize Jesus. But see, none of those guys are going to recognize him the way that we do. Even Islam recognizes Jesus. Did you know that he appears in the their Quran 25 times? Interesting, isn't it? They, they believed in him. Not that he rose from the dead and that he really is the Savior, but see, everybody has a, an angle on who Jesus is. That's why you have to be real careful. They'll use the name Jesus. Hindus, Buddhist, sure. He's another way shower. He's supposed to be just like, like him. That's a good example. That's, a, that's all he is. He's just a good example. Well, this is how you can know how to be God too. 
Jesus is a God, you know, you can be a God. False apostles. The word there is sued apostale. Pseudo. You've heard of that, right? Pseudo. Fake. False. Probably uh, this was coined by Paul himself. Don't know for sure, but that would make sense. Pseudo apostles. Super apostles. He's magnifying what they are. They're supposed to be the eminent apostles, way above him. And he says, actually, they're fake apostles. They claim to be equal with Paul. They disguise themselves. Claim to be spokesmen for God, folks. That's what people are doing. I have a word from God. You know what God told me last night? The moment you hear that, ask him first of all, was it, was it from the Bible? No, God spoke to me personally. Just leave. Just, just, don't, don't even listen. Because now you're going to have stuff coming out. And I can guarantee you, for long, it might start off with something, sounds something like Scripture, but it's going to be a motive of, see, this is what came to me. So I got a special revelation. Now we're in trouble. Because once that happens, the Word of God is not completed. We don't have the complete Word of God, so we have to go to people like that to get the rest of the Word. It's, it's, it's either that, folks. People can say, well, you know, but that guy might have had a revelation from God. Uh, chances are, he's trying to make an impression upon you so you'll do what he wants you to do. Or she. Our churches are filled with deceitful workers. They don't necessarily make it so obvious. There are many, though, that are in the church today who don't believe in the Trinity and you should be able to pick that apart right off the bat. The church... If a, if a preacher is actually in a church that says they believe in the Trinity and they even have a confession of faith and they do that, but yet the preacher who doesn't believe in the Trinity, why in the world is he there? Because that's going to come out really quick, somewhere along the line. There are many who do not accept the full deity of Christ. You say, well, that's easy. That's simple to detect. Well, there are people today that consider themselves to be Christians and, hey, the preacher has been educated. And he's a great speaker. Well, I've heard that. I can tell you where I, well, one of the places was was the First United Methodist Church right up there on Capitol Street where um, the preacher there, that this was back in the 80s and the 90s, and he actually took New Age classes, went out to California where they conducted some of these classes, got it in, and got it in his head, brought it back, wrote books, uh, he was leading people down the wrong line. He even had Mormons come in to the church, to the Sunday schools, and teach some classes. Incredible. How did that ever happen? Why didn't the people detect uh, something is not right here, right? Well, all must be loving. This particular pastor, the people would say, he is a great speaker what they'd say he is tremendous and oh how you there's no doubt he was a wolf in sheep's clothing deceitful workers there are many today who don't believe in the atonement where jesus died for the elect he died on the cross for your sins in a 
substitutionary way. Many are denying that now. That's the basis of the gospel. This is the kind of stuff that's come in. Why are people listening to that? These are people that have been in churches for a long time. Deceitful workers. They're disguising themselves as ministers. They're real deceivers. Look in Titus chapter 1 verse 10. By the way, there was a church right across the street from the Methodist church. It was even more deceiving. It was called First Baptist Church. <laughs> and the pastor there invited his son to speak. And his son spoke that there was no devil. There was no personal devil. It's all in your mind. There's no evil except for this right here where we think bad thoughts. He denied the existence of the devil. That's just as bad. Matter of fact, it's even worse. Because it's disguised under the fact that they profess that they believe in inerrancy of Scripture. Well, that didn't take long. Um, later on, they denied the inerrancy of Scripture. I was already out of the church. Carolyn and I were uh, before that even happened. But Do you see where it, where it goes? A church with a, a history that's been around a long time and all of a sudden the basic tenets start going down. And even uh, you could think of resurrection. That's not a big thing. How about Christ coming in the flesh and through a virgin birth? <laughs> These are major tenets of the faith and they deny that. You go, boy, that's easy to detect, isn't it? Yeah. If you know Scripture... You'll detect the counterfeit every time. Colossians writes about this kind of stuff in Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception rather than according to Christ. Christianity is very narrow. Folks, it's narrow. What, what did Jesus say? What did we read earlier? Narrow is the way. We're not popular. Matter of fact, we're really kind of like outcast. It's the church the way it's really appeared to most of the world through the years. And if it didn't, it was in the dark ages for a thousand years. It just went right along with what the king would do. The king and the pope were together. They were tight. They could go along with whatever was there and just kind of blend in. God, one of these days, will send a deluding influence. Look in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. Speaking in the, the last days. It says, 10, And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved, for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. That, my friend, is the wrath of God. When he pulls back 
his truth and he lets Satan continually blind them to the point where it's too late. It's over. The lights are out. Never to come back on. Never to be seen. I said come back on. I don't know. It might be improper language there, but you see what I'm talking about. He will send a looting influence. They won't receive the truth, the love of the truth they have not for it. And then we go back to our Second Corinthians, and we see their false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Disguising the word "disguising" here could be interpreted masquerading. What we pointed out there earlier, masquerading. Uh, in the Greek, uh, it's kind of a neat study there. It's meta, and then it deals with schema. Meta schema. We'll, we'll just put it shortly like that, and that means to change form. They change outwardly. They change out. They look good. They say the right things. That's outwardly, right? They look good. It's a scheme. Satan's workers don't appear in their true character, do they? They don't show their true colors, for they wear a disguise. Love the disguise. They're behind a mask to act out a certain part. They're great actors, aren't they? That's who they are. There's no inward transformation. There's an outward. And so that's why the word disguise or masquerade or meta schematizo would be. They change form. They put on a mask. They deceive you. They have a habit of evil. But they clothe themselves in this. They masquerade. masquerade. Who would listen to one who came in and said, Hey, I'm a demon, and I want you to follow me. I want you to follow my spirit, because I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> Under the guise of something that is desirable. Here's how they work on us, even. Something that is so good, the habit here that they want to do. Something in the colors of enjoyment, in desiring something that would be okay. You can take somebody, say for instance, with regard to alcohol. He doesn't come in, the false teacher, doesn't come in as a, as a drunk, vomiting all over himself, right? You, oh, I mean, that would be it. I mean, people would... Detect that real quickly, wouldn't they? Comes in as a man of distinction. Man dressed well, speaks well, knows culture very well. He appears before men in that way. But you know, when he appears before God... There's no masquerading. There is no mask. He cannot deceive because he cannot deceive. 
He, he can't do it. He can't fool God. So he's always, whenever he reports before God in that, in that sense, God knows exactly what he's about. This, this is comforting, isn't it? When he appears to man, sometimes man doesn't detect it, but when he appears to God, we know that God sees it. He applies his craftiness to man, to his deceitfulness, an illusion here. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now he's built onto this. Well, what's, what was his original name? Lucifer. Takes on a bad connotation now. It's because everybody knows that that is bad. Isn't it funny they even have TV shows called that? Lucifer, they have movies called that. They they all know that that is the devil, that this is bad. But they'll present it as good. (laughs) But it was good. It meant light bearer, Lucifer. Light bearer, he he led the angels in worship to God. Bore light to God before his fall, as an angel of light now. He's still an angel. But his light is actually dark that people think is light. It's not evident. It's not on the surface. So subtle. Remember Genesis 3. Remember Eve. Satan's primary tactic right there is the whole thing to deceive her He could have come in there just trying to blow her away with all the power that he had, and he he doesn't do that. He could start a church and call it the first church of Satan. Now, he he does do that occasionally and gets away with it. There was a satanic Bible, and there was the church of Satan that I heard a lot about back in the 80s. (laughs) Anton LaVey, remember that? Whatever happened to Anton LaVey? Is Is he still kicking? Is he still alive? I don't even know. I never hear too much about that, but uh, hey, what's out there in the dark world? Who knows? I'm sure there probably is a church of Satan alive and well at this moment, but uh, that's you know we know his tactic. He, he's really clever, though. He likes to come into a solid church and come in and teach some things that are against Scripture. He likes to be in the seminary classroom bringing forth things that maybe that solid seminary would be against. But they don't know, they don't hear that, and this guy is well educated. That's how he works. You know, he can appear to even be a zealous advocate of righteousness. It says in 15, therefore it's not surprising if the servants also disguise themselves as serpents of righteousness. They can say a lot of really good things. So how are these angels of, of light enslaving Christians today? How can, we, how can we look at this? This is what Paul is saying. I, I think it, it's meant for today just as much as it was then, don't you think? So how does this work? Well, it could be by legalism. Or the other extreme. Legalism, you have to keep certain holy days. Hmm. Oh, you know about the Catholic Church? It's built around, their whole worship built around holy days. Or you could be Sabbatarian. You have to worship on Saturday. You must tithe 
you must give 10%. Some require up to 30%. Any minister, pastor, preacher that exploits anyone by begging or asking for seeds of faith, be careful. Seeds of faith. What it means is you put in your seed and your blessing will be much more abundant than that. You will get a blessing every time. God promises it. That you'll get a money blessing. That's what they teach. They can require church members. They can make them donate their time, their money, their talent for the sake of the gospel. But it's for their own personal welfare. How can these apostles put on airs in front of Christians today? Well, they can appear to be highly spiritual. They can be, like I was saying, they can, they can claim a special gift from God. A special revelation from God. They will always use that. That is one of the biggest ways to get across to people. Oh, well, God told you that? Well, who am I to say anything then? You see, this, we have to be careful with that language when we say, well, God told me this. If you can say, God told me this because it's in His Word, you can say, well, God just made it really evident. There are times, there's a sense where, you know, we just know, okay, this is the right thing. I've been praying to God, and um, a certain, a lot of times He speaks through people, He speaks through circumstance. Um, he has spoken in these last days through His Word. That's who we listen to. We listen to God and we know we'll be right every time if it's in here and it's in context with what we're saying. But whenever they make statements about God told me this, God told me that, I have a special revelation, I had a vision from God, oh, this is such the teaching of the day. And it's like, wow, that guy's getting visions. I want to follow that. I want to get closer to God because of that, right? I mean, I don't know anybody that's getting visions. Oh, my. Special revealed knowledge. And to think, at one time, Carolyn and I could have fallen sway to the Kenneth Hagans, the Kenneth Copelands, who have gone since the way of your Joel Osteens. And on and on and on. Creflo Dollar. It's a great name, isn't it? collect the dollars from you. <laughs> you say, Dennis, you're naming names. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that here. This is going to be taped and you're going to offend people. Well, I'm not trying to offend people. I just want to tell truth. And if I can get somebody out of that, it's because I, I love them, right? Or you in the same manner. You can do the same thing. And these particular ministers can also slap you in the face. They can even knock you down, and they do do that. You've seen people will go down to the floor. Confusion? Where in Scripture do we ever see that? Do you see the danger of, here's what God told me, and they came up with things that are not in Scripture, and they'll take some Scripture that doesn't even mean what it says to try to back something up like that? Are you kidding me? They will humiliate people in front of others. What's well, because you didn't believe hard enough? Those same people leave that church eventually because they, their healing doesn't come. They feel inconsequential. 
So they slap people in the face even, trying to cast out an evil spirit. It's ridiculous. And that's the kind of stuff that's dominating in the body of well, in Christendom today. I'll use that word. All Christians have the Holy Spirit inside of them. All Christians do. We can look at spiritual giants that use the word, use the mind that Christ has, the mind of Christ. A true preacher doesn't masquerade. He doesn't have to be something that he isn't. He doesn't go around claiming special revelation. He doesn't demand a certain percentage of your income. He doesn't take advantage of the congregation. He doesn't enslave you to the law. And he doesn't make out God to be pro quid pro, which means he's your daddy. He's going to give you, you do something good, he's going to give you all the money you'll ever need. You put in that seed of faith, God will give you such and such. Give you a million dollars. Look for pride. Because that's at the root of all the false ministers. So we finish up with this. They disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. They're servants that seem to be righteous, but they're like white, whitewashed tombs, as Jesus called it. Death and decay. Their deeds are dark. God is light. The angels of light. Well, God is the one who is light. He is light. Jesus said He is the light of the world. And for all the children, we are now children who are of the kingdom, are in the kingdom that is light. We are all in light. Satan doesn't come as an angel of darkness. He comes pretending to be an angel of light even though it is dark. His demons develop seductive doctrines. Sounds like truth. They're brought forth by hypocritical teachers. Um, example of, of, of Paul, that he had love. These guys don't have love. They're not in it for building you up. As a matter of fact, they probably hate you. They take people for all that they can get. That's really what their whole idea is. They'll suck people dry. Take advantage of them. Paul had truth. He had love. He was a servant of righteousness. He proclaimed righteousness. They'll act like they're concerned about virtue, but they're disguised, remember? It's not on the surface. People who are shallow and immature of the Word of God can easily get seduced. And then, at the end here, whose end will be according to their deeds. Judgment. It's like, God, why don't you stop this stuff? How many times way back in my early years did I say, God, can you please stop the, 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 all the cults, all the false teaching that, that is out there that's claiming the name of Christ? Could you, why don't you stop that? I don't understand why it keeps on going. I used to really wonder that. What's well, the same thing? Why, why does he let evil go, right? He could stop it right now in a moment. But he uses that for his purpose ultimately. Thing is, they're responsible for what they're saying, what they're doing. 
and they'll be held even more responsible for all the things that they say and do and mislead others. They will not get away because God is the judge. If they stay consistent with their thoughts, their teachings, their deeds, it says that as they stand before Jesus and they've done signs and wonders and miracles in the name of Christ. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. Why are you, what are you, those things that you did in my name, who gave you the right to say that and do that? By the way, Satan, with an, as an angel of light, can under God's permission, allow people to have certain kind of powers. We know in the last days that ultimately will happen. They, they can actually do some seemingly miracles, whether it be by trickery or deception. We see that with Moses and the book of Exodus and such. So we say, don't be deceived by a clever spiritual sounding words. Satan will always work in a way of deception. So that's what we... We look for deception. Now, that all being said, on this Mother's Day, it's a good warning to to mothers, to fathers, to children, to all of us, isn't it? The Word of God is good because it tells us that there's something outside of us that's much bigger and much stronger and much more powerful than we are. We just have the guidebook right here. We have the Spirit of God, and we depend on this truth to get us through all the way. And where He is, He's going to make sure that happens. Don't be deceived. Father, we thank You for Your truth because it always counteracts against error. We can depend upon You. We don't have to depend on any others, but Your very Word. Thank You for that. May we... Glorify you today as we continue to celebrate in our worship by the means of the Lord's Supper and going out and being with families or whatever whatever is the day that you've got planned for us. We give you all that glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you. Till next time.